Hello and welcome to the Thought Bubble. This is issue number three. So far, our experiment is a success. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. And we're here to talk to you guys about comic books, comic book movies, comic book television, and as we kind of suggested we might do eventually, comic book music. Dave actually has a whole stream about that, so we'll get to that someday. Uh, But for right now, we're going to be answering your questions that you send in to bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com, any question you have about comic book related properties. Dave here is our ostensible expert about comics. I am a relative newcomer, but do know a few things, and we are going to break it down question by question. Just so you know, if you're joining us for the first time, there is an advanced section at the end of this podcast that has some quote-unquote spoilers for upcoming comic book plot lines that you might see in films and television that some of the more casual listeners may not want to know about. So we're going to protect you from that section as best we can. Um, and we're going to start today with a new feature. Uh, this is, we asked you last week to send in your recommendations of comic books that you were reading or had read and you thought was interesting. This is by far the most interesting response we got which is no slam at all on anyone else's submissions just you know you didn't come up with one that was from a foreign country that had to do with propaganda so that's on you listener (laughs) um this comes from evelina from sweden uh once again and she says um the only comic that i had a a prescription on as a child I, i love evelina's sort of swedish writing so i'm not going to translate it into Polish English. It's called BAMSE, B-A-M-S-E, or BAMSE. I don't know. I actually don't know how to pronounce this, but I did look at the Wikipedia page, and this is this is what we found out. The strongest and kindest bear in the world, a comic that has been accused to be pro- communist propaganda by the Swedish right wing. One of his taglines is, if you're big and strong, you have to be kind. Don't miss the moral values part. I learned that BAMSE school, how taxes work, why it's so good, because with taxes we help each other out, a typical BAMSE value. Uh, BAMSE will always have a special place in my heart, but it is a children's comics, and I'm glad to have found other comics to read instead. So I re- I mean, I had a really good time looking at this comic and, and what it all entailed. Uh, once again, that's B-A-M-S-E if you want to go look it up yourself. Uh, I'm not promising that it's going to be the most cracking read you've ever had, but as sort of a cultural artifact, it's really, really interesting. Because with taxes, we help each other out. <laughs> if you're big and strong, you have to be kind. These are the things we learned. Uh, was there any, did you have any other takeaways from that recommendation, Dave? No, I got to check it out. And I did not have time to, but now I got to track it down. I don't know how hard that it's going to be yet. Maybe I'll update if it's especially hard. I mean, the bear itself is pretty cute. It's sort of like a, I was expecting like a big bear, but it's actually a cute little like, uh, Mickey Mouse, Winnie the Pooh sort of situation with overalls and possibly a jar of honey. Anyway, uh, it, it looks it looks really interesting to me, and and I knew nothing about it. So thank you so much, Evelina, and please do keep sending in your recommendations. They don't all have to be weird uh, European propaganda comic books. They can be whatever it is you're reading that you're interested in. <laughs> now we're just gonna get like I'm gonna spend the next month reading weed weird European propaganda <laughs> comics. Um, well, you know what? We will also accept weird Asian propaganda comics and weird African propaganda, like from wherever. We won't be choosy. Well, and I'm always looking for an excuse to read the Tijuana Bibles again. So (laughs) someone bring that up. There you go. Um, all right. So our first question today comes from Josh from Oklahoma. And he says, 
After listening to your discussion on scale and comic book TV shows, I'm curious to know where on the super strength scale, say between Captain America and the Hulk, that Netflix will place Luke Cage. I believe that his comic book origin is based somewhat on the super soldier serum, but he's been powered up in later appearances. It would seem that keeping him on the lower end makes more sense if they are keeping with a street level hero by for the Netflix shows. Also, do we know where Abomination is in the MCU? I wish he would pop up again. Uh, so, you know, knowing really nothing about the Luke Cage character, I do want to say that the one <laughs> wish I have is that Terry Crews plays this character and somehow also gets to be on Brooklyn Nine-Nine at the same time. So saying that, what my only hope for Luke Cage is that he is as strong as Terry Crews appears to be. But I do like this idea that the Netflix shows are going to be sort of grittier, um, as he said, street level, um, less fantastical shows. I think that's going to be a really, really interesting comparison. Dave. What is your answer here? Well, I mean, would you have Terry Crews, like, do a Chris Pratt while filming Guardians of the Galaxy and just his character somewhere else for a little while in Brooklyn Nine-Nine? He gets C-plotted for a long time? <laughs> that uh, that Terry on Brooklyn Nine-Nine goes to England or whatever it was that, that Chris Pratt's character went? Well, I mean, he'd be going to, I guess he'd be staying in New York, I don't but, like, <laughs> yeah, maybe it would be difficult to work around that plot-wise. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, oh, well, I will just say really quickly, with the nature of television um, changing as it is, it is more and more possible for actors to commit to double projects. For example, Chris Messina, you know, is on heavily on the newsroom this season and still doing uh, every single episode of the mini project. So... You know, it's possible. Could yeah. happen. Well, it's also good when you're talking about one TV show that doesn't have to stick to the traditional television airing schedule because exactly. they could just throw it up on Netflix whenever they have time to make it within That's the right. grace period. Anyway, Josh from Oklahoma. I'll start with the Hulk question part of your question first because I'm not that into Luke Cage. I had to go to a Luke Cage into friend of mine for the rest of your answer. But Hulk rogues gallery wise, uh, the leader and the abomination are still out there canonically in the marvel cinematic universe wait, wait, wait. so what was what is abomination oh uh, abomination was the villain in the incredible hulk the edward norton one which is canonical to the marvel cinematic universe uh even though he was replaced by mark ruffalo for the avengers and now the avengers age of ultron um and the abomination was uh blomsky he was a guy that was injected with a imperfect version of the super serum captain america super serum and uh instead kind of hulked out into the abomination uh which is the big thing that fought bruce banner in harlem in the end and yeah crazy things happened anyway the doctor that he made him shoot up with more abomination it's been a while since i've seen the movie was played <laughs> by uh tim blake tim nelson okay yeah and at the end of the movie, he sort of gets knocked over and you see some of this uh, irradiated um, serum drip into his head, which is uh, foreshadowing another Hulk uh, villain called the leader who's super smart and he has, he's green and he has an oversized head. So they were definitely planting that. The Incredible Hulk didn't do as well as Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America. So, and then Edward... Ed Norton had some creative differences towards the end of the film and in its marketing. So that really didn't 
pan out. But in terms of where Abomination is, if you recall at the end of The Incredible Hulk, this was still during the experiment time where they were trying to build an interconnected universe. And because Iron Man's uh, end credit stinger was so popular, they added one on to uh, Incredible Hulk that featured Robert Downey Jr. because Iron Man was the most profitable character Marvel had ever had at that point. And he shows up and asks William Hurt's general character about the Avengers initiative. <clears throat> what they explained in the one shot, the consultant is that they were, Tony Stark was actually asking about abomination because abomination was the only person that had been recovered from the battle of Harlem. So the Hulk actually ended up being blamed for most of the damage and the abomination was kept locked up by shield um, and sort of, a prospective member of these unstoppable superheroes they were going to put together. Uh, and so they actually, Agent Coulson conspires to send in Tony Stark to sort of blacken the water um, on the Abomination front and keep him off the team. And so Abomination ends up getting locked up. I don't know where he is now that S.H.I.E.L.D. has disappeared, but that's where he was in terms of why he hasn't popped up since the Avengers. Okay. Can- so to clarify... Tim Roth is is the character who's turned into Abomination. Yes. And so that character is locked up somewhere, presumably by Shields. Yes. Or or maybe even in the clutches of Hydra, we don't know. It could happen. That is correct. Um, and then you're saying there was ooze that sort of went towards Tim Blake Nelson. So that character or a char- a similar character, if they don't decide to bring back any of this cast, if they just scorch Earth with the Edward Norton cast, um could be a, a different Hulk in the future. That is also correct. So, yeah, oh. I would be surprised. I was getting my Tims confused, so I just wanted to make sure Tim Roth is one thing, Tim Blake Nelson is another thing. Yeah, they're both, um, I guess, physically altered characters, so if you wanted to swap in somebody else, a la Mark Ruffalo, I'm sure you could if they wanted to come back. Uh, I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if... There's a name drop at some point soon about Abomination because we know that Tony Stark's developed a Hulkbuster armor, and if you're going to test anything and if you have some form of Hulk blood around, but I guess he also has Banner locked up in his tower, so I maybe not. I don't know. Abomination's still out there, though. Like any good comic book villain, he could come back whenever we need him. But would uh, you want to see that? Would you want to see like another big like Hulk versus I know we're going to get Hulkbuster armor versus Hulk. But do we want like multiple Hulks running around or does it work better to just have the one? Because here's here's my thought about this. Like I've been wondering why the Hulk movies never took off and I don't think it's in Lee's fault. I don't think it's Edward Norton's fault. I don't, you know, I, I don't think you can put it there. I think it has to do has to do with that kind of movie watching to like at least in the Ed Norton version, watch two like big hulking things fight each other. Like, well, I might as well go see Godzilla, right? And maybe I don't want to see Godzilla in, in a Marvel context, right? Or does that sound off base? Maybe the the Hulk when he's used really well to me, I think, is he inspires awe, like traditional awe. So you could tell those sort of like weaker stories and have these big moments where Hulk demonstrates his real strength be the crux of the story. I think it works in comic book form. I don't think we've never, we haven't gotten there in film form outside of when he punches the uh, transports, the Chitari transport in Avengers. Um, just the but first. That was part of like a larger battle thing. 
You know, it's like well, that's we how you take use a... you use the Hulk though. But like... can, but then but then can he be the lead of his own story, or is he just work better as part of the team as he as he was here? Well, I mean, that's why all Hulk stories are about somebody, usually Bruce Banner, but somebody's trying to stop the Hulk from showing up because once he does, there's only so much you could do with him. I mean, I think that if you go back to the Hulk mine, you go to Planet Hulk, but obviously that theory isn't popular. So if they were going to go back to another Hulk thing, I would guess you could pull one from one of these more popular characters, or you could sort of lean on the newer version of the Hulk. And I think they would go Red Hulk before they would go She-Hulk, as sadly, but realistically. Um, okay, so that is our... Well, I mean, our... that's the Hulk part of the question. Right, right, no, 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 then Luke Cage, I know. Right, oh, okay, sorry. So uh, Luke Cage, here we go. So Luke Cage, uh, in terms of how he his powers have always sort of gone up, uh, apparently that is something that ha- has happened... He like levels up in the comics in terms of the powers. So when he's first uh, introduced, or his, and not when he's first introduced, uh, on the timeline, his origin when he starts acting like a hero and uh, sort of growing up alongside uh, Warpath, I think. No, he grows up alongside one of his villains uh, that is eventually part of the Serpent Society. But I'm blanking on her name. Diamondback. So he grows up and he's like a street fighter. So he's already pretty formidable in terms of street level powers. Then he gets like a super soldier serum spinoff in one of the many attempts to recreate that post Captain America or World War II. And it gives him unpenetrable skin and increased stamina and strength. Um, This is back when he was called like Power Man, where literally he just had some powers uh, it wasn't really justified why, but as the comic progresses, uh, they sort of struggled to find what to do with him and sort of in the uh, mystic orient slash black exploitation part of our history, he was paired up with Iron Fist and learned some martial arts. And then at some point after that, he goes through the Power Man treatment again. And he also at some point gets a coat that's impenetrable. So Luke Cage, he keeps uh, getting stronger and stronger, eventually showing up where he is now, which I think is leading the Mighty Avengers last time I checked in the comics. Uh, In terms of how the Netflix shows uh, do it, I I think that they could keep him just a brawler for a while and have like his major arc be how he becomes a real superhero after he learns how to be an actual hero because Luke Cage, the hero for hire is basically a good guy for money. And it's going to be interesting to see him play around in the legal spy universe we'll have with Jessica Jones, because I think they'll end up dating and I think that'll be our way into the Luke Cage Netflix origin somehow. So, I mean, but that's the question that we sort of tackled I think in the first episode, which is, do you then think the Luke Cage show is going to be just one long origin story? Is that what you're saying? I think that that might be what all of these Netflix shows are. Okay. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because these characters all have really complex origins. Uh, Daredevil, well, maybe Depends, not. Right? Yeah, maybe not Jessica Jones. But at least Daredevil and Luke Cage have um, had multiple writers go back and sort of find interesting things in their pre-Banner superhero days and their origins. So there's a lot to mine there if they choose to. Excellent. 
Oh, wait, right. wait, did I answer the, yes. the core question? I think he's about Captain America level of power in terms of how they'll treat him, but also bulletproof. With that coat. Well, I, mean, I don't think they'll give him the coat. I think just his skin's enough. His skin's okay. bulletproof. All right. Wow. Okay, great. I'm yeah. excited. Okay. All right. So this one is, uh, this question comes from Shan, uh, who's on Twitter at TNRLM. Um, and Shan writes, what do you think the major challenge is adapting a comic to different media? This is a huge question. Yeah. And we're going to answer it in You want to ping, ping pong it? Yeah. Um, yeah, let's do that. But I also just think it's a question we're going to be answering over and over again on this podcast as we go forward. So, uh, yeah, let's start. So he says, for example, for PG films, most of them versus our films like Watchmen, Punisher, etc. Um, I will say for my, my perspective, I don't understand the huge pushback on Marvel because Marvel's max PG, right? Or is it PG 13 sometimes? Oh, it might be a PG 13. I think. Right. Guardians people, is PG-13. But people who get frustrated that it's not R, I don't know. I just don't think you need it in that context. And I understand, yeah, you know, obviously you can't do Watchmen under PG-13 banner, but um, Watchmen's one of my least favorite comic book movies, so I don't I don't really care. Anyway, Dave, what's your answer? <laughs> I would say you have to establish your stakes, stakes of the universe uh, differently for each. Uh, PG films, it's difficult because you can, uh, you have to stay in that uh, fantasy violence or adventure violence sort of categorization, um, which, you know, is nice in something where, like a superhero story where you have electrical powers and earthquake powers and whatnot. But uh, all of a sudden, these people are altering the world around them in major ways just so they don't have to bloody each other's noses. And that all of a sudden, like if that's happening, you end up in the Man of Steel problem where it's like, yeah, he saved the world, but he destroyed the city doing it. How how cool is that supposed to be? And the same thing goes for the R films. If you're bathing in the fact that you could have that much blood, um, you probably missed the point of why that story was gritty in the first place and maybe reevaluate, unless it is one of those comics that is just about that, in which case, why are you making it into a movie? Well, I was thinking about the sex and the sexual violence of Watchmen. Like, that more than anything is what's going to require the rating on Watchmen right. because of that content. And, I'm, and uh, I mean, like, that's I, just... I don't consider myself a prude at all. I don't, but maybe other people do. But like with Watchmen, none of that stuff worked for me in that medium. And I've heard, I've read a little bit of the graphic. It's a graphic novel or collected comics. I've read a little bit of the, of the, that big thick yellow volume and I liked it. And I'm sure that it would work better on page as a classic book, but on screen and the way it was treated, I, I really disliked it. Well, so. here's the problem with Watchmen. In case all of you were wondering over the past <laughs> these years why Watchmen didn't work, is <laughs> the comic book works because it's a comic book. It's about superhero comic books. The movie is a movie about a sup- comic book about superhero comic books, not a movie about superhero movies using the Watchmen story, which it should have been, which for me means you take the straight-up rape and the really weird fire orgasm from the movie Mm -hmm. and you completely remove them to talk about sexualization of costumes or why women have to be in their underwear. You pull it back to talk about the movies and I think therefore it keeps its satirical core 
Whereas this one was just a really pretty adaptation of a comic book, but it didn't adapt why that comic existed in the first place. That's so interesting. So you're saying that if you were to make, try to make, you know, the Watchmen like in, in the future, Mm -hmm. you would change it very radically to be a movie about comic book movies. Or would you just make a different movie that's a movie about comic book movies? I mean, I would be much more precise in my editing to make sure I was only commenting on comic book movies. Ironically, when we get back to Watchmen, like uh, audiences will be ready for its original alien gets beamed into the middle of a city ending uh, because we will have gotten to that crazy level of superhero movies. So I feel like the content's still there because comic books were around for much longer than comic book movies have been around by the time Watchmen was made. It just needs a more artful adaptation that knows what it's doing. And what it's doing is not adapting the comic book. It's Um, it's like the Psycho remake. That's like the shot for shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gus Van Sant's Psycho remake. It's like great in terms of art and practice, but not really doesn't have a point behind it. Well, that's an interesting side point that you bring up, though, this idea that what Marvel is building and, and Warner Brothers building behind them and, you know, the CW building on the TV level or whatever is is this sort of conditioning, this getting people ready to embrace comics in their most sort of gonzo state. Um, and, you know, and you seed in like a, an alien plot here and a Cree here and that sort of thing. And then eventually people just won't bat an eyelash. And anything. Is that what you're saying? Like, you don't start with Guardians of the Galaxy or Inhumans. You you get there. Eventually. I would say to be continued in the advanced section. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> um, Shan also asks about creating one good movie versus trying to build a world and franchise. Like, what the f- does Sony keep doing with Spider-Man? Um, and with that, I mean, I don't have a direct answer for that. But what I do want to say is um, I reject part of marvel's plan uh i see why they do it which is you know thor you like thor we're gonna give thor three movies maybe more you're gonna keep coming back for thor because that's a brand you know you like his arms you enjoy his cape you're gonna come back i really think thor had like one good movie in him and then he can be a supporting character in other people's movies um but then again sometimes it can surprise you because i definitely would have said captain america only had one good movie in him and and i quite liked the second captain america but like you know the same is true i loved iron man 3 i did not like iron man 2 but i i do feel like tony stark is a better like they're better when they work together these standalone movies as they as they keep progressing i'm less interested and i would just much rather have yeah tony stark show up in captain america 3 like that sounds better to me um, that's not really directly answering your question. Dave probably has a more direct answer, though. I do, but I don't disagree with what you said. Just to have a different answer, which would I say, <laughs> it, regardless of if you're doing one movie or a franchise, you pick a deep theme, you introduce it, and then you leave like meditations on the deeper meaning to the sequels. Take something like Chris Nolan's Batman trilogy. It's like, hey, city needs a rich guy because it's not going to save itself. Or is it? And then you spend two more movies talking about that. So I think that the, at least when you're kicking off a franchise, the goal is to make a single good movie. Once you get into sequels and trying to interconnect it, it gets much more difficult. And I'm not sure anybody knows the answer to that, like how to best do that at this point. 
Certainly not Sony. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So this last, I'm going to skip one of his bullet points because I actually think that would make a really good question in and of itself. We're going to revisit that another time. Um, so I'm going to take his last bullet point, which is network TV, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox versus the CW versus basic cable versus premium cable versus streaming media, Netflix, Amazon game platform. So how do you adapt a comic to match those different levels of, of grit of, you know, the CW was obviously giving us a bit of teenage soap opera with our flash and with our arrow and it works well. Those, those work very well together. Um, Fox is trying to give us something darker and they haven't hit their tone that fits their network yet. Um, ABC is giving us something, you know, that's shiny and fits into the Disney world. And, and I get where they're going there. I am really excited. The more we talk about it, the more excited I am for the a Netflix platform though, because Netflix has done a number of things. They're not really identified with any one thing yet, which means they can decide what tone they want to strike. And if they want to strike a unified tone between these four series that they're going to be doing, um, I'm just really interested to see how that manifests. Um, Dave, your answer? Yeah, you are not wrong with that Netflix thing. Because basically my answer is, it's like if you picture your property, your superhero property is like Play-Doh. You just put as much pressure and shove it through your sieve and see what comes out the other end because it's like making television um, on network TV or premium cable or basic cable. They all have these uh, hurdles you have to jump over, be they the cost of a production that huge for something like HBO or Netflix or, you know, network notes, like let's, where's the love story for the CW. So it's more, the nice thing is you have a serialized format so you could try a whole bunch of things. I think uh, Arrow season one, is more successful at throwing a whole bunch of things out there and seeing uh, what fits in their universe versus like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season one, which is trying to build these little comic book-like mini story arcs. So you have to watch three weeks in a row to get your conclusions and get your kicks. Or it's just like technology of the week um, to introduce some weird comic book character. Uh, uh, yeah, push all the play to the sieve. However, however you can, whatever comes out the other end is going to be molded by your medium. The the medium is partially the message. But we did want to talk a little bit more specifically about a certain show in this context. Um, you know, because Dave's mission statement here is know your limits, basically know what you can do. Um, TV versus film, network by network. Know know what fits your particular platform and with flash this week uh you know spoiler for the flash if you're not caught up flash this week they've been teasing this since the pilot but they made it very clear that they're bringing gorilla this character gorilla grod onto the show to be you know a villain um i asked a friend of mine who's really into the comics about this character and he was like i mean it kind of strikes me as the beast uh from x-men in terms of it's a gorilla but crazy smart um and (laughs) My question is, and I was asking, I was like, okay, well, do you think they're going to do something humanoid or, uh, or is it going to be a gorilla? Is it going to be a CG gorilla? Like, what are we going to get? How are we going to do a gorilla villain on television, on the CW and not make it look laughable? Uh, his philosophy, his, his idea was that they were going to just, yeah, CG it and do like close-ups on the face for a while the gorilla is talking and then, you know, wide shots for the body, you know, maybe a suit or something like that. But I just, 
you know, a gorilla villain in a film would have its own particular set of challenges, but a gorilla villain on the TV show has me a little worried, especially given how excited my friend was about this character who apparently is, yeah, a beloved comic book villain. So works on the page is going to be damn tricky to pull off on the screen. So, But don't you want them attempting these things? Isn't that what you want? Or would you rather the CW give another female villain for a love interest because that's what the CW does? <laughs> um, no, I don't want that. I just... Um... I was a fan of Gossip Girl, and I would say get down with a gorilla villain in that show because that... <laughs> <laughs> like if you want to talk about spinning off your axle every season, that show definitely did. That show needed a rampaging gorilla. Yes, from time to time. it wouldn't have surprised me. It just would have thrilled me. But I mean, like, <laughs> if you're gonna do the Flash and you're gonna do Gorilla Grodd to get some people to tune in and to like go for it, I'm excited. I'm expecting a lot of backlighting and a lot of <laughs> abandoned warehouses and moving shadows. <laughs> Okay, now I'm excited. <laughs> I mean, I saw Congo, so just don't do that. But that used to be cinema quality, so hey. Right, but are then tough. since that, we've had King Kong, you know, Peter Jackson's King Kong, which is amazing. Uh, um, is know. it? When no, was no, the last I'm not time saying... you watched King Kong? Oh, yeah, yeah, listen, listen, I'm not saying the movie's <laughs> amazing. I'm saying you're not going to get Andy Serkis to help you out to do Gorilla Grodd. Well, so... if we're talking about Andy Serkis' monkey performances, well, we got to talk about the Apes, Apes movies because, yeah, yeah. like, I've rewatched King Kong in the past three weeks and it oh. does not hold up even oh, as dear. a hit performance for Mandy Serkis. Okay, scrap that. Since then, we've had Planet of the Apes. And That's Dawn, right. Rise of the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And, uh, you know, it's a... Uh, yeah, how do, you, how do you keep them down on the farm after they've seen apes in San Francisco? You know, so... Yeah, we'll I mean, it's, it'd be really ballsy, but I also think it'd be funny if they just straight up kill him in his first outing. So, like, you get to see him for, like, three <laughs> seconds, and then he blows up. <laughs> All right. Well, write us in, uh, you know, write into Bubble Your Thoughts if you have a genius idea of how they're going to pull this off, whether you, you want Gorilla Grodd to be a major mid-season villain, because we know who the overarching villain of the of the season is. But if you want him to be a mid-season villain, or if you just want one outing i mean he might come and go because they did introduce this other villain captain cold um played by wentworth miller and he was there and gone you know and he'll come back so we'll see we'll see what they do with that gorilla i'm you know i too am now excited for abandoned warehouses Um, all right, so this next question comes from Beth from Pennsylvania, and she says, Ever since it was announced that Joss Whedon wasn't going to be directing the Avengers movie after Age of Ultron, and in fact, I think since she wrote this email, um, it's been rumored that the Russo brothers are going to be doing it. Um, I wondered what's next for him. Do you think he's going to stay on at Marvel as an overall consultant, direct another Phase 3 movie, or leave Marvel altogether? Personally, I've had to convince myself that he's not directing Captain Marvel, so when another director is announced, it won't be a letdown. Um, see, now I'm... I'm with Beth where I like, well, I, you know, okay. They could hire a lady director as Warner brothers is doing for their film and, and to direct Captain Marvel. And then, then I'll be okay. But in terms of male directors, like I really don't want anyone other than Joss Whedon doing Captain Marvel. That being said, um, you know, I, I would like us now, you know, Dave has a good answer here, but I also wanted to talk about this idea of creative force at, at Marvel and Warner Brothers. And, you know, perhaps foolishly, I constantly think of Joss Whedon as a as a 
overruling creative force at Marvel, even though he got into the franchise late or, or the universe late. And I think of Zack Snyder as this, you know, imprint over Warner brothers. And, um, you know, and if you know me at all, you know where my loyalties lie, but, um, I would like Joss Whedon to stay on and help in whatever capacity. Marvel gets criticized for being too, uh, uniform for not being allowing creativity and I do love I disagree with that uh, I agree with it to a certain extent but I disagree that you don't see the imprint of a director's creativity on something like Guardians of the Galaxy um, I think with Joss Whedon you hear an um, an author's voice more than maybe a visual imprint but you you hear the Whedon influence um in in his work and it's one that i really really love and obviously the world responded to it so um i would be disappointed to see him leave marvel um you know at least stay on and, and help guide and maybe just pitch in when he decides i don't want him locked into doing it forever but you know around is what i'd like interesting i think that he's just gonna ditch marvel and go do something smaller and unexpected i hope for dr horrible too but I think he's going to continue pitching in on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because that's literally family. Uh, but also just why wouldn't you? I think he's an executive producer on that. Just kind of reap the credit, make sure the product's good. But I think he trusts his family to do that too. But the Whedon voice will be alive uh, after Age of Ultron. I don't think he would come back for a Phase 3 film, so I do think he's out for Captain Marvel. Um, he might come back past 2020 if he feels like that's something he wants to do or if there's a cool character that he hasn't done yet. Um, but then again, the other side of this is Marvel has Disney money. So if these movies start to face plan after he leaves, they will just back a dump truck full of money up to his house. But in terms of, I wanted to address, Joanna, your worries about the uh, sort of uh, contributions Joss Whedon's made to the overall Marvel universe, I think because we haven't seen like a strong uh, singular voice come out of it, that I think they're just doing really well with Joss Whedon because Joss Whedon's a really good uh, historically team player in the writer's room and in the story conference. And in terms of that, you have two other historically really good team players in the Marvel universe in Patton Oswalt on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but like he's around, he's under contract, wouldn't be that hard to extend him. And James Gunn, who is like a really good script doctor if you get down yep. to stuff that he's worked on. So I feel like if you have somebody who has an experience of making these sort of things work and a track record of that, they could step in to the the Whedon trench and keep it moving forward without much of a hitch. Or that's that's my hope. No, it's I mean, yeah, it's not like all is lost if, if Whedon does decide to go do Dr. Horrible 2. Um, but I I would miss him, I guess. Right. What I'm trying to would say. you miss him beyond the potential of him doing something he's really invested in, though? Well, but sometimes I don't agree with his passion projects. Who are you, Joanna Robinson? <laughs> You're not no, a Whedon. No, it's true. He, he gets to do whatever he wants to do, and I, I support him in all his endeavors, but I didn't think much ado about nothing was all that, so, uh, you know, I 
I don't always trust what he wants to do when left to his own devices. Well, I'm no French aristocracy either, but I'm not getting out the gu- guillotine, if you know what I mean. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Joss Whedon can do whatever he wants. He, Joss Whedon can do whatever he wants. It's yes. true. And I support him. Because the thing is, is when he does stuff, I'm like, oh, I really like this. I used but aren't, to be- you al- aren't you allowed, you're allowed to say this this creative person who I love can do whatever they want, but I really prefer it when they do this, right? Like, that's an okay sentiment to have. That's not saying they shouldn't be allowed. I'm not saying George R. R. Martin shouldn't be allowed to go start a wolf sanctuary, but I really do prefer it when he writes his books. I think I agree. It's just, especially in the Joss Whedon case, I learned from investing in Firefly that I don't really want what I think I want from him. I want what he wants to do next. I mean... It's true there is uh, Ken often in the, I don't know, for for the sake of convenience, let's call it like the nerd sphere, there can come this sense of proprietorship. Like, I believe I know it's right for Whedon to do. Um, And you're right. I don't. He's going to, you know, if if you had told me, he's like, yeah, I'm going to do a musical web series. And I'm like, Joss Whedon, don't waste your time doing a musical web series. What are you doing? And then it's Dr. Horrible and it's great. So, uh, you know, fair enough. Yeah. Just in this case. Otherwise, you go you go tell Lars von Trier to screw himself. <laughs> I do, and frequently. Um, all right. So this next question comes from Gareth from England, and he says, Dear Joanna Dave, bubble me this, which please everyone write. Start your emails <laughs> that way. I would appreciate it. Um, Has there ever been a more perfectly made role than Walton Goggins as Jesse Custer in Preacher? I love Preacher. Can't wait for the TV show and think he's perfect for the role. Agree? Question mark. Um, so this is just fan wishful thinking right Goggins has not been cast in Preacher correct okay great um okay so Preacher is going to be on AMC right Mm -hmm. and uh Walton Goggins if you have not heard of him is a fantastic television actor um who's recently been sort of drafted into the Tarantino camp which I which I really like He's going to have a pretty big role in Hateful Eight, and he had a minor role in Django Unchained. Uh, He's on Justified. He was on S.H.I.E.L.D., not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but The S.H.I.E.L.D., and and he's great on Sons of Anarchy. He is an amazing, amazing actor, and he's one of those actors that I kind of want everyone to love, and not everyone knows him yet. And I want everyone to know him and love him, but then I'm going to be disappointed because he used to be mine and not the world's. But he, he belongs to the world. He's too good. To not be loved by everyone. Mm, uh, it's like a you... Sherlock fan cumberbatching. <laughs> oh. <laughs> cumberbatching is exactly how I tend to react to Walton Goggins things. Um, but I, uh, let's call it Gogginsing, I guess. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, but, but what do you know about this? I know nothing about Preacher. So what do you know about the series? What do you know about this role? What do you know about how you feel Goggins would fit in? Oh, I love the idea of a Goggins. I mean, the Preacher's going to have to show me the Preacher universe that the uh, entire... So it's 10 trade paperback volumes. He completes an entire story. Jesse Custer, Preacher, gets imbued with the voice of God. That means he can tell people to do something and they uncontrollably have to do it. He decides uh, to use this power sort of selfishly at first, and then he discovers that God has left the throne in heaven 
and hasn't been there for a while, leaving humanity sort of to fend for itself. And he decides he's going to use his power to track down God and hold him responsible for his creation. So knowing that, that is a lot for a television series to bite <laughs> off. Um, the character is really great. He's got a doomed romance that straddles his I have power and I don't uh, parts of his life. Uh, he has a really, really screwed up backwoods uh, family that um, takes over for, uh, I guess, an arc. Yeah, we'll call it an arc. Uh, but everything's sort of interwoven to this greater idea of um, sort of holding God responsible for humanity and what humans do when they think they're speaking for an absent God. So it would be great to see that borne out. I'm just not sure how you turn the vast and very gritty mythology into a TV series that people want to tune into, especially when stuff like The Walking Dead is like the complete opposite. We're like, there's really no story there. It's just no. people are bad to each other. <laughs> and then they go to another place where they think people are going to be good to each other until people are really bad to each other again. And I'm surprised that's been as big of a hit and been as drawn out as it is. It is pretty crazy. So I'm hoping that, you know, at least with the subject matter, they pick out the good bits and don't, like, you know, focus too much on vampirism love stories in old-fashioned <laughs> New York. Well, we are, we are also going to get an American Gods TV show, uh, which sounds like it, I don't know, it's not the, it's not the same by any stretch of the imagination, but some, some similar themes um, and as you say, audiences might at this point be conditioned to be able to uh, approach something like that. The other name that I've heard people throw out in, in wishful thinking in connection um, is Aaron Paul, who's who's currently making, you know, a, a film career bid. And so I feel like things would have to go pretty poorly. Like he'd have to tailor kitsch his way out of there uh, in order for for him to come back to television, which, you know, after Need for Speed, he's on his way. He does have that Moses movie coming, but we'll see. Wait, what wait, happens you've heard Aaron? Aaron Paul for Jesse Custer? Yeah. Hmm. That's not the character I'd have him play. Interesting. Okay. Um, who would you have him play? Arseface. So there's a character that in, I don't know how they're going to play it if they update it, but uh, who... Is just has an abusive sheriff father and uh, identifies with Kurt Cobain and tries to shoot himself in the face, but fails. And so he sort of, instead of a mouth, has like this hole that he drools out of. And it's really hard to understand uh, his speech. But over the course of the series, he sort of becomes like a pop uh, idol and sees the other side of fame. It's a really interesting character, and it's one that's going to be really gross to look at on television week in, week out. But something that I didn't think was possible before American Horror Story, but now it looks oh like God. it's going to be great. And I hear they're doing it with practical effects, which is going to be awesome. That is going to be awesome. I, I don't want them to do that to Aaron Paul's beautiful face. So um, my my vote would for him not to play that character. Um, my shallow vote. I'm going to cast my shallow vote there. <laughs> um, but... Uh, what I was going to say is like with a Goggins or, or a Paul or that level, I don't know. It just makes me think about how these shows are being cast. And, you know, as more and more film actors are taking on TV roles, yet in the comic book universe, it's still TV, act uh, the TV comic book universe, it's still TV actors. That's who we're casting. 
we're not going to cast a movie star to play this character yet. You know, like the, you know, the Netflix Daredevil, like I really love Charlie Cox, you know, great in Stardust, but he's not, he was not a film star, yeah, you know? But so this, like, is, this is ongoing. Those are ongoing things though. By AMC, I hope it has the, you know, forethought to be like, we're going to take this to the end of the story. Or so at least it's a limited know, run, so a movie actor would be more. You're not gonna. Uh, you're not fine. gonna get. They don't have to commit. Well, I mean, if they are gonna commit to six years off the bat, they're gonna commit six years off the bat. But they don't necessarily have to have this open commitment. That you know, they're not gonna end up being the voice actors of The Simpsons and caught in this residual <laughs> reno- re- renegotiation hell. Whatever, Yardley Smith makes a bajillion dollars. I guess I'm not complaining on behalf of them. I'm just, (laughs) that's how it could work out. All right. Is there anything else you want to say about Preacher? No, it's going to be awesome. We'll probably talk about it more because it comes along. Oh, we will definitely talk about it more. Yes. Uh, You know, so the last question before we get to our advanced section um, is casting news, which is that uh, the great actor Daniel Brohl has been cast as the villain uh, in Captain America 3. That's accurate, right? Yes. Um, And so that led to a bunch of sites chewing it over, speculating, uh, other information coming in and fans doing what they do best, which is putting their detective caps on and trying to figure out who he could possibly play. Uh, what they came up with is uh, Baron Zemo, uh, but Dave has some opinions about why that might be a flawed conclusion or a great conclusion. Um, as for me, I Google image search Baron Zemo, who looks like he has a purple sock on his head the whole time. So I'm just not looking forward to another, if this is the villain that he's playing, I'm not looking forward to another villain like Lee Pace in Guardians of the Galaxy or Christopher Eccleston in Thor 2. I'm on the record about this. I just feel like Bearing a great actor like Daniel Brühl under a restrictive sock mask cowl situation um, is regrettable. And if they do go with this character, I hope they don't stick too closely to the character design. Dave, hmm. your thoughts? I'd be okay with that because the character origin is ridiculous. Uh, Baron Zemo was working on adhesive X and glued that mask to his face. so hey be careful (laughs) be careful with adhesive x evil scientists um yeah that drove him insane baron zemo um so the interesting (laughs) thing that happened here is brule was cast in a hollywood reporter story i think and the story said that he would appear in civil war as a villain and also be the main villain of dr strange which everyone said made no sense because in terms what sort of mystical villain which you have in this very grounded Captain America Civil War universe and so the thing that how we got to Baron Zemo was the idea that whoever did the reporting for Hollywood Reporter heard that he was playing Baron something and got it confused with Baron Mordo who is rumored to be the villain of Doctor Strange and that's how we sort of as a fandom reverse engineered the idea that Baron Zemo um would be the bad guy i like the idea to avoid the sock over a good actor's face that uh devin farachi came up with that the baron zemo with the sock over his face is um more of a flashback character and then since we're dealing with a longer period of time in between captain america being frozen at the end of world war ii and him being thought out than they were in the comics we'd actually be dealing with his son 
who has something to do with the Winter Soldier who is going to be providing our inciting incident, maybe, or at least we knew at the end of Captain America, the first, uh, the Winter Soldier, that uh, Steve was going to go seek Bucky out. So Baron Zemo might have and something to do with his the, past. More on that in the advanced section. Right? Oh, really? Cool. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wasn't trying to cut you off. I was just trying to tease that there would be more. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I think there's a way to have. So Baron Zemo Jr. is what you're saying. Right, but I mean, he wouldn't call himself Baron Zemo Jr. (laughs) Baron's a title, and his last name would still be Zemo. He would just be Baron Zemo. Um, I'm just stay away from Adhesive X, (laughs) evil scientist specifically. Um, all right. Well, on that, you know, resounding cry of warning from Dave, we are going to end our, you know, regular section of this podcast and skip over to the advanced section. Um, but once again, if you're not going to join us for the rest of the show, I do want to urge you to write in um, bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. Dave, do we have a, a special feed? Should we direct people to any sort of special feed at this moment in the podcast? Well, you could stay on the Fighting in the War Room feed or you could search iTunes for the Thought Bubble podcast. Because it's its own thing now. The same so, same file. Exact yeah. same file. Dave works some magic. Uh, you know, not with any adhesive X, but he works some magic and he split this well, podcast into two different places. You can't see me, so I have some bad news. <laughs> Is it purple? I hope. Oh, <laughs> I wish that it were. <laughs> It's white, which is horrible because I'm not going to be able to wash it for forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you can you can listen to this podcast as its own thing now if you want. Or stay on Fighting the War Room because it's a great podcast. And so you should listen to all their shows as well. So those are your options. We're going to head into the advanced section. Uh, we'll see the rest of you guys next week. All right. Or, or so- not. They're lame. <laughs> yeah, they're that. gone now. I'm gonna do we that don't every really week. care about them. Um, all right. So the first thing I want to say, well, this ties back into what you were talking about in terms of Winter Soldier, because uh, we had a, um, a listener named Jeremy he write in and he says um, from New York and he says, I was wondering if you or David had any insight in how Bucky might fit into the whole Civil War storyline of Captain America 3. Love the podcast, by the way. Thanks. Um, yeah. So go for it. Dave Gonzalez. Okay. Tell us, so, how does Bucky fit in to Captain America? In Captain America 2, The Winter Soldier, we saw Howard Stark in the exposition montage that was talking about how Hydra has changed the world, which also included pictures of Bucky as the Winter Soldier. So it seems pretty obvious to me that the car crash that killed Tony Stark's father was actually caused by the Winter Soldier. And so regardless of which side the Winter Soldier is going to be on, this is going to come up. Uh, now that we know that there's a villain... Uh, that's going to be added to Captain America 3. I would guess that maybe he's still controlling Bucky in some sort of way or knows some sort of secret that keeps Bucky on the evil side. So the theory that the revelation that Bucky killed Tony's father and Tony wanting some sort of revenge for that, sort of kicking off the personal stakes of this movie, is one that I really like and I hope they execute. Um, But it's also a way for them to tie everything back to you know agents of shield or agent carter i don't I wonder if they could take sebastian stan and have him trade in one of his like seven movies for one television <laughs> performance is that how it works I, I feel like one movie contract is like a whole 
eight episode season of Agent Carter. It's going to be interesting in like a decade to look back and be like, when Sebastian Sands signed that deal, did they really know he was going to be blank, whatever he is at the end of that like run of movies? It's going to be interesting. Like the the easy theory is that he becomes Captain America, right? Well, yes, and then beyond that, in the comics, he becomes, like, the galactic Nick Fury, which he'll, like, assassinate planet-sized aliens with a giant radioactive gun if they threaten Earth, so you could take Bucky a long way. So once again, we need to condition our audiences so that they can get to the point where Sebastian Stan is no longer wearing a lot of eyeliner, but is instead blowing up giant aliens. Or maybe wearing a lot of eyeliner while he blows up giant aliens. Yeah, it's so. it's a great visual. He's like floating through space and he has it looks like a giant <laughs> sniper rifle and he's just firing bullets into this planet that has like a face. Uh, oh my god, it's going to take a lot of conditioning for us to get there, I think. I we'll, feel. We'll see. We'll see. Guardians um, of the Galaxy 2. <laughs> Um, I quite like Sebastian Stan. Uh, Bucky, I think, could have been a really problematic character in the second Captain America. And I don't know if it was, you know, Sebastian Stan's um, performance that made it work. But, you know, the emotional connection there between um, Steve and Bucky, I, you know, it really hit for me. So... I'm glad they're keeping him around. It makes so much sense to make him a pawn in the middle of this, you know, dick measuring contest between Tony and Steve that's going to be Captain America 3. So, Who do you think our new heart of the Avengers is going to be? Because if you think about it, the only people we care about are people who care about Captain America. So once he exits the picture, does like who's our, who's our center of the Marvel Universe? Oh my God, what a question. Because um, I don't not- care about Pepper Potts. <laughs> No, I don't. No. I don't know what uh, Jane Jane is up to. I don't. I don't. I don't care. Maybe what it'll Jane be, is up be to. Captain Marvel. Wouldn't that be nice? Could be Captain Marvel, or it could be, um, you know, I don't know what they're gonna do with Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, but um, hmm. that's you know. I said get Chris Pratt to Earth. <laughs> You, I, think, I think that should be the answer to every problem uh, from every movie. Uh, like, that would have solved Gossip Girl. Just get Chris Pratt to get, Earth. That's a good point. <laughs> Gossip Girl would be fine. It's a, lot to, his... it's a lot to bet on Benedict Cumberbatch and his really weird story world for well, Doctor Strange. Well, actually, now that you bring it up, I mean, Paul Rudd is actually a pretty good Ooh, yeah. option for that. So he's got that very lovable quality to him oh yeah and he's going to be connected to evangeline lily romantically maybe we'll right. care about her again yeah. kate um in a kate sort of way well, and not in an i'm an elf and i'm in love with a dwarf sort of way uh, <laughs> oh this is, i'm actually really hoping that evangeline lily is great in you know ant-man and then if they have her do the wasp stuff going forward um and then i will just consider that bullshit that is the hobbit like her audition reel even though lost was basically her audition reel but like all those like somersaults and shit that she did in in the hobbit i'll be like that's fine it was there so that we could have her here and she's going to be great here i'm even i'm even more convinced she's going to end up the wasp hearing that jessica chastain was considered for that part well no and, and well exactly and what jessica chastain said which is that the character she's being considered for was maybe going to turn into something eventually and i think that was the biggest sort of 
indication that Evangeline Lilly's character is going to be the wasp, which is going to be great. Right. Um. All right. Uh, you you mentioned something earlier that you wanted to talk about the advanced section. I think we're going to address it on Agents of Shield's question. Okay. Well, then here we go for Agents of Shield question, which is from me, Joanna from California. And my question is this, Dave, what the shit was with that city at the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? This is what all the alien writing has been leading up to. It was a blueprint. Uh, I think that guy is from Eureka who built this model of a city. What is it? Tell me. Tell me all the things. (laughs) Well, the prevailing theory is this is the city of Atlan where the Inhumans live. It is a Kree-built city. Uh, because the Kree genetically made the Inhumans, which are Kree-human hybrids uh, from our prehistory. The city is traditionally, it's kind of a floating, moving city. It's usually in the Himalayas. Sometimes it's on the moon. But it is the backdrop for all of the uh, royal shenanigans that make up the Inhumans' storylines. So it's the King's Landing of the Inhumans' universe. Yes. Um, It makes sense that, uh, based on our writing, the alien body that we saw, the Kree body, um, he was searching for this city. It makes sense because it'd be a Kree city um, that is movable. So at least logically, it seems like it'd be Atlan. The reason I brought this up when we were talking about how to do long-form serialized characters is this, if it's done right, connects the entire run of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to all three Marvel phases. So phase one, you have Agent Coulson. He dies. They bring him back with alien technology from phase three, but they don't tell you that. Because by the time we get to the full picture of what the Inhumans are, it'll be 2020, right? 2019, 2020? For the Inhumans movie? Yes. So, uh, yes, 2018. 2018. Yeah. So that will have been a long stretch where they weaved in this sort of space Inhumans thing. One of our readers wrote in and said that, or brought up that Skies and her parents... Um, were first attacked when Sky was a baby in China and that Atlan has, you know, been in the Himalayas, so maybe that's what they were searching for. And this whole thing has been a lead-up to uh, the Kree's influence on Earth, which will then be revealed to be the Inhumans. So it's ambitious if that's what they're doing because there's no way we get to Atlan by the end of the season or anything like that. But then again, I thought we would have gotten the answer about what happened to Coulson uh, sooner than, what, 26, 27 episodes in? Right. So uh, it's, it was, uh, it was, uh, they, they moved the carrot. Like if I'm the donkey and they're holding the <laughs> carrot in front of me and whipping me towards the carrot. Um, and I noticed a little bit, but I'm like really thrilled with the prospect. The same way I'm thrilled with like the things people are saying about Star Wars from the Lucasfilm story group. Or just like, let's redefine long-form storytelling and what that is, and interconnected storytelling. And if they can make a spy show that is secretly about how aliens have always been on Earth, and then that suddenly ends in a movie about those aliens, that is, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and all that was revealed when we saw that. Well, you, you knew that the Cree situation was sort of seeding in. How did seeing this city cement that for you? Um, uh, just the idea that the, so the mixing of 
the idea that there's some sort of redemptive power in injecting Cree blood into humans um, and that those biologies are similar sort of gave the idea that the Inhumans were coming. And really, if you're looking for the Inhumans, there's only so many flags that will say, hey, Inhuman fans, these guys are coming without showing a character that is traditionally known as an Inhuman. Ooh, maybe this text message is about it. Nope. <laughs> <clears throat> After showing a character that's... Without showing a character that's traditionally an Inhuman, uh, inhuman right. you just have to go off these little touchstones, and one of those is this city, city. this great city. Cool. Well, I'm really excited. I had no idea what it was. So, yeah. Um, now I do, which is all, like, this is basically why we invented this podcast so that Joanna could know what the shit was going on. Um, and what was I going to say? Oh, oh, do you think the whole Tahiti thing is done at this point? What do you mean by the Tahiti thing? Okay. So what I mean is, I was sort of hoping we were done sort of trying to figure out what that Tahiti project was because it seems like we know Coulson ran it then he was part of it and now we know exactly why it was manifesting in this way with these people and a bunch of them have been killed off anyway so um, can we be done can we tie that off with a bow uh, I, I floated that to a friend of mine and he said but they didn't destroy the memory chair so Col like they're going to use that goddamn memory chair again um, and I think he's probably right well, so. not even that, but the idea of Tahiti is at the core of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in terms of Inhumans. Like, that we can meld this alien and human technology is where we're going to get our twins from, from Avengers Age of Ultron. Like, that concept is very important. And the idea that... What do you mean? How Wait, how are the twins related to that? So, if you remember in one of our previous advanced sections, I brought up that they had saved one of the Chitari transports, yeah. alien alien bio material, right? And had been using it to experiment on Wanda and Pietro creating uh, Quicksilver and, and Scarlet, Scarlet Witch. Witch. So the idea that you could take certain alien DNAs and screw with it and get certain results is core to the idea of how the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to treat the fact that it either makes its heroes through origin stories or it does it through this because they can't have mutants. First of all, this is my um, the first time that I've heard that their names are Wanda and Pietro, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> and uh, Okay, okay. So you're saying that in the Marvel Universe, um, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are mutants, but since they can't have... In, in the Marvel Comics universe... I'm sorry to rehash something we already talked about, but I, apparently I didn't get it then. <laughs> so one of Pietro uh, are mutants, as we saw with Evan Peters' character in the most recent X-Men film. Um, but in this context, they are going to be genetic experiments, which unless, is why we saw them in cages. Right. Unless I'm mistaken, they are the survivors of a series of genetic experiments and something made them survive. And it's because they are genetically inhuman. And they're genetically inhuman because of the experiments, because someone put well, Kree in them, or back when we were cavemen, the Kree came to Earth and took a oh. selection of cavemen and interbred them with Kree, creating the Inhumans who have been hiding because they're super smart and have superpowers and don't want to crush our monkey society. 
our gorilla grodness. Um, right. So then Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. becomes finding that thing and blah, blah, blah. The other thing about Tahiti is, if you recall, it was a project designed to revive a fallen Avenger. And I think we're going to have a lot more of Ven coming up. So I don't think we're done with either side of Tahiti. We might be done just with those characters. But I don't think, like, the, I think the project overall might might come back. Oh, that's right. So, so the stakes of the universe going forward might be that even if a character dies in a movie, that doesn't mean we're done with them. That's a really powerful switch to say we're done with in the comic book universe. I think that we'll return to that idea. Eventually, we're going to have to resurrect a whole bunch of characters for a little bit. So might as well deal with that concept consistently. All right. Well, I look forward to discussing more of that in another advanced section. You've intrigued me. <laughs> um, <laughs> as per usual. Uh, is there anything else we want to talk about this week? No, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, it was good. Good job, guys. Good job, team. Uh, thank you all for writing in with your questions. They're invaluable to us. Um, and so once again, I do want to ask for your comic book recommendations. But I also want to ask if you're watching either Gotham or Constantine and want to write in with with your thoughts, uh, your take. Uh, Dave and I are both, you're behind on Constantine, right? Yes. Yeah, we're both behind on those shows. Uh, because one, I can't even, and the other one, I just haven't started yet. So I'll, I, I'll try to watch some Constantine before next week, but if I don't, I'll be looking for your opinions on how they're handling that particular universe. Um, I did, I did though, get the opinion of a very well-read uh, young lady who enjoys comics, and she said that her take on Constantine on NBC was it was problematic because the Constantine comic books are so very deeply entrenched in the time and the place, which is London in the 80s. And so to make it New York and the now, uh, you know, when, when you think London in the 80s, you think dirt and grime and graffiti and trench coats and Constantine and Margaret Thatcher and all this stuff. And um, she says it just is not working as well for her transplanted to here and now that so, makes sense but it didn't hurt elementary so eh. no but elementary is not trying to be as much of the same thing as constantine is well i mean neither of us like have you... seen it so do we know what constantine's trying to be all i'm saying is that the taking it out of the place something that's entrenched in place in like 1880s london uh doesn't mean that you can't riff on it right but the question is are you riffing or are you just trying to do it or have you a like done a bad transplant and it's true we've not seen it so we can judge for ourselves or you listeners can judge for us but um i I think that there can yeah you're right it's not a deal breaker but that's also like if you don't update other things to go with that then maybe it doesn't work well maybe they could justify that by saying he's not smoking because it's new york you can't smoke anywhere that's true he's not smoking but it's also true that constantine is just um and I only know, I've only read a bit of, of like the Hellraiser stuff. But um, anyway. <laughs> this Should week we... on Neither of Us Have Any Idea. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we need you listeners to tell us your thoughts about if the time and place. Okay, this is good. So guided question. Is the time and place a deal breaker on Constantine or are there workarounds? How is it working for you? What is working? What isn't working? How terrible is Gotham? Harvey Dent. Okay, the end. That's it. That's all I have to say. Uh, yeah. So write to bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com and find us on iTunes. Leave us a review on iTunes. We're our own thing now. So do leave us a review on iTunes if you subscribe to the Thought Bubble.
feed on iTunes. Um, Dave, where can people find your work on the internet this week? Uh, probably on Twitter at DA7E and on latino-review.com. Uh, I'm Joan Robinson. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. You can find me on another number of other podcasts, or you can find me over on VanityFair.com's Hollywood section. That's about it for us this week. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week. Ooh.